Some say it's a symptom of manliness. Others a cause. The mustache. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Who are you? The Mustang. I am the Mustang. Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am your host, the Chancellor. Pastor. Yeah, baby. Marcus Zill. joined here today in the student union with pastor terry forky all the way from billings montana how are you doing today terry i'm doing very well fantastic or as i often say fantabulous even though i'm not sure if that's a word or not but uh so you're up there in billings montana uh pastor forky serves for all of our listeners as the president of the montana district of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and you should know that you have the distinction of being the very first district of president district president to ever be on this humble radio program. So, congrats! I don't know if I have a plaque to send yeah. you. I'll have to look into that. Um, and speaking like a, speaking of plaques, great honor. You, you got a plaque at the end of the Liberty Conference. Did you get the plaque after the great shave off? Um, you know what? I don't even know what I got. I got shaved. <laughs> no, well, so... Uh, pre- no, no, uh, President Harrison got the plaque. Oh, President yeah. Harrison got the plaque. And for those that don't know what we're talking about, President Forky, uh, Terry came to our uh, our um, biennial um, college campus ministry conference for LCMSU, and the theme was Liberty, and uh, decided to bring him on today to talk about... He, he uh, was nice enough to offer to teach, and I thought that was absolutely beautiful. It was your idea. He said, hey, I'm going to be there because there was this, uh, this, um, this program, this uh, drive uh, called the Great Mustache Shave-Off. Why don't you tell... What was the whole point of this thing? Well, it was, how did it, it start? How did this thing start? Yeah, it developed pretty organically. We're at the... Um, you and President um, and on a number of occasions at public events, President Harrison had introduced me as the guy with the second best mustache in the Senate. So I thought, if he does that at the convention, I thought, uh, I was a chairman of a committee, so I knew I'd be at the podium. I thought, well, I'm just going to say, uh, Mr. Chairman, I demand a recount. And I thought it would be a, a one, you know, a one-liner throwaway, lighten the mood up and so on. Everyone would laugh. And, but President Harrison is so quick on his toes, he, he said, okay, we'll have a vote, and he uh, called for a vote. Well, that was his tactical error, because he lost the he vote. He lost pretty bad, didn't he? Uh, I don't remember the numbers, but, uh, yeah, so the yeah, convention so... said, no, Forky's got the best mustache. Right, which well, should have been the, the end other of it. <laughs> it could have been the end of it, but one of the other district presidents uh, um, wrote a little resolution uh, to try and raise money for church work students, saying uh, that the two of us, President Harrison and I, should try to raise money, and the, the one who raised the uh, the littlest, 
the least amount of money would have to have his mustache shaved. And somehow, I don't know the inner workings of how they decided to do it at the Liberty Conference, but I thought it ended up being the perfect place to do it because the college students are... You know, they're full of life. It was a lot of fun. It was a well, lot of fun. that's kind of, of what happened, uh, some in the communications department, because it becomes kind of a, a communications thing. Um, I think it was the social media overlord of the Synod, Peter Slayton, said, Hey, Zill, what would you think about doing this? We need a place to do this. And I said, Well, I think college students would totally dig it. <clears throat> and uh, and they did. They were great. It was a great place to do it. So, uh, it was, so you had to come. Yeah. You came all the way to our conference, all the way from Montana. You're a real trooper. Um, long story short, I don't want to spend the whole program talking about it, but uh, you ended up uh, uh, volunteering as tribute because Harrison, he not only lost the first time when he had the vote at the convention, he lost the fun drive too, didn't he? Right, yes. Everyone wants to see the big guy shave, that's for sure. You bet. Yeah, So, but then you stuck it up like a champ, and you volunteered as a tribute, even though he lost, and you got your mustache shaved. And you had had your mustache for, what, 30-some years? Yeah, 35 years, yeah. Oh, jeez. And then at the end, everybody was kind of like, now I haven't told everybody this, so if President Harrison's listening, I'm sure he's not. I can neither confirm or deny that chance in the crowd that started yelling, shave them both, may or may not yeah. have originated with me. <laughs> but, this, <laughs> but the students started, oh. started and I, Harrison got, he kind of got religion as it were, and then he sat down anyways and shaved his too, so you both lost, lost your yeah. life. So as a, it was a great event. Did you enjoy your time at the conference? Oh, it was marvelous! Really, it really was in every way. I, I so much enjoyed being with the students, and uh, the mustache thing turned out better than I could possibly imagine it. Because President Harrison was not going to shave, he decided at the last second to do that, and uh, it created high drama. And I think everybody enjoyed it. No, it, was it was fun. It was great. And uh, you were a real trooper and said, "Hey, Marcus, you know I don't often get asked to let, let me teach, which is it's just wonderful." Just. Um, and you're unique in this way. You wanted to teach, uh, and my understanding is, so you live in Billings, um, and you have been in the district for a long time, um, but you also have, you fill in at a church. Don't you uh, help out at a church uh, that's just in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. For, by Montana standards, yes. I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm the pastor at Trinity Lutheran in Harleton, which is 100 miles away from where I live. But due to my other responsibilities, I just... Uh, preach there twice a month and the other sundays of course i'm visiting my other congregations of the of the district so uh, and that is awesome and i got to tell you not only is it cool um that you uh, get a chance to remain rooted that way in, in in the life of a congregation but but this is a congregation with just what 15 or so yeah. members yeah we have 14 14 people they're very faithful they're always there I, I, I doubt if any of them will be listening, but I'll, I'll try to get them to listen. But uh, well, uh, you shout what, out to Carlo. You know what's awesome? I mean, you you tie in. I mean, <clears throat> talk about you know loving the little guy. You know, a lot of places, a little church like Trinity and Harleton, people want that. Ah, it's why are you waste. You know, you're, why are you driving all the way up there? And that's because you got you got twelve, thirteen, fourteen souls there that need to hear the gospel too. And, you know, a lot of exactly. our campus ministries, we, we have college students that are in small numbers in many of our colleges. And, and so anyways, uh, thank you for your faithfulness, not only as a district president, 
but also as a pastor and for joining us at the conference and for being such a trooper. But I wanted to have you on the program. We're going to have you on two weeks in a row, this time and next week. And today, one of your sectionals, you talked about uh, the title of the section was No Other Name Speaking and Living the Name of Jesus in a Hostile World. So the name of Jesus, um, I mean, before talking about living in a hostile world, tell us a little bit about the name of Jesus and uh, how you kind of latch onto that. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to use the, the book of Acts to do that. And this okay. is uh, Which is very this fitting is a presentation. here. The, so we're starting the season of Easter here. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, this is a presentation that usually takes me an hour and 15 minutes. I'm going to do it in five minutes here. So hang on to your, <laughs> your seatbelt. Um, for those who might be following along, if they want to get out their texts, uh, the, the, I think... I present it this way. The book of Acts is about the name of Jesus. It starts out in Peter's Pentecostal Sermon, chapter 2, verse 21, where he quotes the Old Testament, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. So he puts Jesus in the place of the name upon which you can be, by which you can be saved. So the rest of his sermon is actually a demonstration that Jesus fills the role of the name that saves, and he does it on the basis of the Old Testament. So, then you get to chapter 3, and he pushes the issue even further to demonstrate that uh, the name of Jesus is the only name that can be saved. That's that exclusivity that gets us into trouble with a hostile world. Oh, absolutely. So, um, uh, it, Peter and the Holy Spirit use a lame man uh, to to get into this um, discussion about the power of the name of Jesus. So, uh, in chapter 3 and 4, the word name is used eight times, and the name of Jesus, uh, 11 or 12, I've forgotten that number. But it starts out, Peter and John see this lame man, and instead of just healing, he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's chapter 3, verse 6. And he walks. Uh, he praises God and so on. A crowd gathers, and by the time he gets to verse 16 of chapter 3 then, um, he wants to make sure that people know it wasn't his power. Peter wants to make sure it's not his power, piety. And he says it's his name, by faith in his name, this made this man well. Uh, through Jesus. So, uh, the name of Jesus heals physically. Then, of course, the crowd reacts. They're very excited about this. Uh, the people who are in charge of the temple are not very excited about it. In fact, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 says they're greatly annoyed because they're preaching in the name of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. So, uh, they arrest them and throw them into jail. And that brings us to the first touch point of, for 21st century American Christians. Sure. Well, it's not, not that way right now, but most people would agree we're on that trajectory that in the United States, the name of Jesus could land us in jail. Yeah, in our college, uh, I, we face that all the time in campus ministry on a secular campus especially. Right. And they, would, they would feel it probably more sensitively than... A lot of people not on campus because I, I don't know if you still use the term political correctness, but I, I, 
assume that holds more sway on campus sure. uh, for a lot of you know than for a lot of people out in the world. So at any rate, uh, they land in jail, and Peter uses and they go on trial. Basically, they put him in trial in the middle, and Peter uses that as another opportunity to speak about the name of Jesus. And I always say that uh, this little sermon is the greatest sermon in the scriptures. I'm a little biased that way, but uh, sure. um, what what Peter does, he has this great sermon, and he, but he doesn't let them know that he's got them until he's got them. So every time he talks about the name of Jesus prior to chapter 4, verse 12, it's always about the name of Jesus has the power to heal physically. And then he gets to chapter 4, verse 12, and he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you, you see that the corner he just turned. He, they had no idea where they're going, and all of a sudden he's got them. Sure. You know, now I'm talking about not only does the name of Jesus have the power to heal physically, it's the only name that can heal spiritually. It's the mm. only name by which we can be saved. And that is where we really get into trouble. So your students, if they're on campus and they say, well, I believe in God, they'll probably get away with it. Little g, American God who gives people good stuff. Um, If they say, I'm spiritual but I'm not religious, they'll probably get away with it. You know, and actually, you know, it's interesting that the statistics – demonstrate that more people, especially college students, than, than ever before, that the level of spirituality is on the rise, uh, but the level of denominational fidelity is on decline. And so everybody's spiritual, right? Um, right, so that, right. So that's not a bad... People are like, okay, so you're spiritual, but... Uh, but uh, So anyways, where does someone then get in trouble, though? Yeah, that's the point. So yeah. I would say it this way... They may be spiritual, but it's the exclusivity that gets us into trouble. So what happens to one of your students when they say, Jesus is the only way of salvation? Well, they may not get thrown into jail, but it may (laughs) cause, you know, know, well, and everybody sees these when they drive all over the country. I'm assuming they have them in Montana, too, you know, the coexist, um, coexist stickers and and uh, in fact, my my first day when I you know I I don't know if you remember I had been in the Montana district I was up in Glasgow sure. Wolf Point um, before I went then down to Laramie. This is going back twenty years now. But uh, my first week on campus, I had a young man. You can appreciate this given this discussion. I, I had a young man that showed up, and he was going around all the campus ministries and all the religious organizations, and he, he introduced himself. He said um, that he was starting a new religion. And uh, I'm like, wow, I've never met somebody that wanted to. His new religion was going to take uh, the key principle, um, the foundation, founding principle or the, 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 the key point of every single religion, combine them together. And so we would truly have, it was kind of like a pre-coexist thing. And he said, right. so what is it that makes, that makes Lutherans... Uh, stick out, and I may have actually—I'm pretty sure—I may have actually quoted that that salvation is. You know, I gave him a doctrine of justification spiel, as what sets Lutherans apart, and I think I even quoted uh, this same passage: that salvation is found in no one else. And he, he he looked at me and he goes, "Well, that won't help me very much in his right. test." <laughs> but uh, anyway, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the point. 
of this text. The, the sure. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 will not allow for such a thing. And, um, and that's what we're bound to is this name. It's the only name. So just to continue with the story then so sure, I don't please. lose the thread. Yeah, please do. Um, so they're still on trial, and uh, the leaders of the temple there are somewhat stuck because they made a tactical error. They put the man who had been healed uh, on trial, too, right there in the middle with Peter and John. And so they say, well, what can we do? This guy, that the notable miracle has been done, we can't deny. So yeah. they finally... They finally conclude, this is verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them no more to speak to anyone in this name. So the it there is the name of Jesus. In order that the name may spread no further, they put this prohibition. So they weren't denying the the it, they just didn't want it to spread. Yeah, they knew the name was powerful, so they prohibited them from speaking it. So what happens to us? That's the deal. That's the question here. In, we are in a hostile world. What happens to believers today when the world says, "Don't speak about Jesus. Don't use that name." So I, I got to tell you a funny story. Please. So I, I present this. I've presented this a number of times, and I presented it to a, a third grade class at Trinity School in Kalispell, Montana. <laughs> And I said to the kids, what will you do if, if someone says, don't ever talk about Jesus again? And, of course, third graders, are, they all say, oh, we'll tell them about Jesus anyway. <laughs> and then I said, but what if they say they're going to put you in jail? And there's a collective gasp that sucks all the air out of the room, because I'm telling you, third graders do not like jail. Yeah, it's like going to your room. So, yeah. So, so I mean, the point is, it's easy to say it, but it's not so easy to do it. Yeah. It's easy to say it when we're in the comfort of our sanctuaries, but when it comes, and that's my point, we should be prepared. We should do some thinking about this. So, so what do the apostles do? Uh, that's verse 20. Their response is, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And I want you to just notice the passive a mood of that phrase. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The point is that the Spirit of God is at work in his people. And Peter and, and Peter and John, didn't, they said, we don't really have a choice. The Spirit of God is working the name of Jesus in us. We live it and speak it, even if we don't even know it, because the Spirit of God is working. And that's what I would say to, to your listeners today. Those who are in faith in Jesus, the same spirit that emboldened Peter and John emboldens believers today. You cannot but speak of what you have seen and heard, of the power of the name of Jesus to heal and to save, because it's the only name given among men by which we must be saved. So, uh, you know, that's that's so beautifully well put. Um and, you know, I, I, frankly, I'd like to tell people out there, listeners who aren't students, I think our students get this, sometimes maybe even more than the rest of us because they see it all the time on campus. Um, but I have to ask, why, why the world is hostile to the name of Jesus for the same reason that it was hostile there in Acts 3 and 4, right? Because they know that there's something to it. They know that there right. is power. And so they're seeking to to suppress it, to, you know, you can't, 
It's kind of like the old proverbial, you can't stop it, but you can hope to contain it. Is that kind of what they were doing? Well, imagine their dismay. They thought they'd gotten rid of this guy. As far as they're concerned, he's dead and gone, and now the power of the name keeps popping up and even healing people. And these irrepressible disciples are all over the place talking about him. What are they going to do? Well, you know, that's the beautiful thing, is it not, that even though Jesus died and, of course, rose again, here we are Easter Wednesday, um, and the power is really really in God's word and the spirits. I mean, everybody often thinks, well, wouldn't it have been great if Jesus could have, I'm sure the disciples were thinking, it would have been really cool if Jesus could have, rather than eventually ascending, just kind of gone with us on our little missionary endeavors. But they had all the power packed into his name, right? Yeah. And then they, and could, that, take it where, they could take him wherever, wherever they went because they had the name of Jesus. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's interesting. We, we talk about sort of the, the post-Easter glow. We're all rejoicing in the resurrection, but emotionally that wears off, and then we go back to the daily grind and we wonder. Well, we, we don't have to wonder, because the name is still powerful no matter how we feel. You know, who knows what mood Peter and John were in when they saw this lame guy. They, <laughs> You notice... Just like we react when somebody begs for money, they're like, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> but what I have, I give. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. So there, there you have it. And, you know, powerful the, name. Yes. And, but the world, they also try to maybe substitute their own names to kind of uh, mute his name by giving it other names, don't they? And, yeah. And that, I mean, that's another interesting sort of sidebar. What? What Christians sometimes get sucked into believing in other names, uh, and I mean it's kind of a long spiel, but we could talk about other we've names. About, that just we, so you know, we got about we have about four minutes here, so that's that's kind of where we're at. I'll make short shrift of it, but but um, even believers get sucked into it, believing you know we believe in science is going to save us. You know, I mean, believers will say, "No, I don't," but yeah, you believe someday science will heal Alzheimer's, someday science will heal cancer, someday science will save us from climate change or whatever it is. Uh, uh, Power, money, um, status, we believe in all sorts of names that will save us from one thing or another, but they all fall apart. That's Peter's point. So um, that that sort of increases the hostility of the world because not only don't they like the exclusivity, they don't like those other powerful names being taken away from them. Uh-huh. So as we wrap up here, we just got a couple minutes left here um, for our college students. They're out there. They're on campus. Obviously, it's tough to be a college student. Um, how, how can Christ's name be a source of comfort for them, for, for all of us, really? And obviously, this t- we can't talk about the name of Jesus without talking about baptism. How does baptism provide that comfort? Yeah, yeah, t- yeah that, that's a, as you might say, that's a great softball. So <laughs> here we go. You know, uh, um, I, I get it. Living in the public arena on a campus is a very hostile place, and it can get you down. And so where does the name come in? Well, it comes in precisely there, in baptism, because God put his name of his son, his holy name, the name of the Trinity, on you. Yep. And there it is. You, that's, that's what Peter was saying. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The action of God to save you 
in your baptism by putting the name of Jesus on you. That's great comfort, because it's not your power. It's the power of the name of Jesus. Well, gave you a softball, you hit it out of the park. Um, (laughs) You know, know, it's amazing, you know. I always have often said that uh, in this life, we're always kind of, we're walking wet in our baptism. Uh, We cannot, it's kind of like humidity when you go back east, you can't get it off of you. You know, how can we not but be walking wet in the dew of our baptism, um, confessing Christ? And and uh, so thank you for taking us down this walk of looking a little bit of Acts 3 and 4. I know there's a lot to pack in there in a short period of time, but but you nailed it, my friend. And uh, anyways, uh, next week we're going to have you on again, which will be awesome to talk. Uh, I think the topic is some practical examples of living at the intersection of faith and culture. Can you give us like a couple sentence teaser of where, where are you going with that? Well, I, I invest quite a bit of time in, in my life in uh, speaking in public venues on behalf of the, the church. Sure. Uh, and uh, so, so speaking about the topics of marriage, life, and religious freedom. And I so I've learned... Uh, by the School of Hard Knocks, I learned a few lessons that I enjoy sharing with people about uh, and encouraging them to to get out of the box of the uh, safe box and get out into the world and and uh, live your faith in the public square. And as you have beautifully told us today, um, we do so in the name of Jesus. So thank you for joining us, President Forky. It was a real pleasure to have you. We'll see you again next time. Great. My pleasure. Thanks much. Take care. The mustache is needed now more than ever. Well, that's all all the time we have here, boys and girls. Join us again next week here in the Student Union. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help.